Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Hi, this is Author to Author. I'm Cynthia Tulin Wilson, and I'm here tonight with Deacon Dennis Lambert, who wrote a book called The Table. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Great, Cynthia. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Good. Um, Good. Before we interview, would you like to start us with a prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, everything you give us is a gift, Lord. And within those gifts, you give us gifts and give us the ability to proclaim you through those. Today we, we, we have time to just talk about one of those gifts that Cynthia and I both have that you've given us, Lord, and that is the gift of being able to put together a few words and to proclaim you within those words. So we ask you to, to make this time, again, special, make it focused on you, Lord, and that we all, no matter who we are, where we are, that we recognize the gifts you have given us and that we proclaim you through those. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. In the Father, and the Amen. Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, Dennis, um, you wrote this very interesting fiction, uh, The Table. Um, would you like to tell us something about yourself and then something about the book? Sure. Um, well, I am a Chicago boy, um, although I live in Phoenix now. Uh, my wife and I, my wife Debbie, we've been married actually be 37 years. Uh, what is wow. today's day? Is today the 27th? Yes, it is. Uh, two days, the 29th. I didn't forget my anniversary. So we've married 37 <laughs> years. Uh, we moved out here to Phoenix in 2000, which makes the math challenge person in me, makes, makes it very easy for me to say how many years we've lived here. So we're going on 20 years uh, now mm-hmm. in Phoenix. Um, we have two children, uh, three grandchildren now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm retired from the, the pharmaceutical industry, and as, as introduced, I, I am a deacon. I've been ordained for five years, a little more than five years now, and mm-hmm. just uh, my wife and I are just thrilled to be able to, to have retired a little bit on the early side, some people might say, and able to, to give mm-hmm. our time, more time to the church and to, to the service of Christ. So That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... You wrote this very interesting book. Uh, do you want to give us a little bit of a uh, synopsis, and then we'll, we'll discuss it in more depth? Sure. Uh, well, the name of the book is The Table, and as implied, there is a table involved in, the, in this story. Um, it, it's actually kind of two stories in one. The first is, again, on that table, and kind of um, what, what, what even started, what, what made me think about this book was the idea from the Bible or the story of the Bible of the centurion that encounters Christ. He has, his daughter is ill and he, yeah. he knows Jesus can heal her. And I'm, that, that was really intriguing to me that here you have somebody, not a Gentile Gentiles, uh, a, a soldier of mm-hmm. Rome who recognizes the power that Christ has. And he says, you know, you know, my daughter's sick. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Um, can mm-hmm. you heal her? And Jesus is pretty much, okay, let's go. Let's do it. And he's like, no, I'm not worthy for you to enter under my roof. That's where we get that. But only say the word and my soul shall be healed. So I thought that is an interesting story. So the first thing I did is that maybe mm-hmm. I'll write about what that encounter and what happened afterwards. But then in mm-hmm. researching, I found out that there's actually quite a bit of tradition about that centurion who was named Cornelius. So 
from there, I just kind of thought, what else could I go with? Again, just, just somebody outside the norm, you know, of, of who we would think would turn to Christ, you know, who could be affected about him. So the centurion, his name is Cornelius. He plays a part in it. It's actually the table's two stories in one, and they, and they intersect in a most interesting way. Again, the mm-hmm. table is one that's uh, built by the grandfather of Jesus, and the story follows that table from its construction all the way to current times. Um, mm-hmm. In that story, we see Jesus encountering the table on several occasions. Just like myself, when I was a kid, uh, we used mm-hmm. to make forts with the uh, tables, put blankets over them. Jesus played sure. underneath it like that. He encounters mm-hmm. it again in the, in the story at the wedding feast of Cana. The table is there. Mm-hmm. The, the, the water is converted to wine right in front of it. And the table uh-huh. also appears again at his scourging. So it very much has touched Christ. And then after the death of Jesus, the, the apostles now have the table, and they appoint a former centurion, again named Cornelius, to be what's, what they call the first table bearer. They, they recognize the apostles, how much this table meant to Jesus. And so they have Cornelius bring this table to, as, as they spread out and go to different lands to spread the good news, they bring the tables to the various communities, um, and there's peace and healing involved with anyone who encounters it. So mm-hmm. that's one half of the story. The other half is, is present day. Uh, it's the story of a character named Michael Fortunato. He's a guy in his early mm-hmm. 30s. He's, li- he's living, like I say, here in Phoenix, modern times. And he has a full-time job, but he's, he's a musician, um, him, him and his wife. And they're on the verge, not really trying so much to make it happen, but they have a, a big break where they could suddenly, you know, make it into the music industry. And then... Mm-hmm. On top of that, or right at that apex, so to speak, he loses his wife, Debbie, in an accident. And mm-hmm. that loss just t- sends him into, you know, the center of darkness. He, he can't escape it. And that is until he meets the current table bearer, who is an autistic young man named Anthony, encounters him, the table, and a story about that table that's about 2,000 years old. So right. it's a story of that table and, and the man and how it can bring wholeness and, and, and healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's in short. It's excellent, you know, when you think of that story of the centurion. I mean, we all know it, but, you know, after, you know, this man has so much faith and you just don't, you, you know, it's just, it sounds weird, but it's another miracle. And you go on to the next, you know. So Absolutely. it's interesting to think of you stopping at that point and really questioning well what happened after and coming up with this story or stories yeah there's, there's so much of that in the bible I, I find myself all the time when i'm reading a story and like okay if we can continue what happens to that because we get such a short you know bit you know in the gospel about some of these people and stuff. you're like gosh what happened after mm-hmm. how were they transformed the paralytic that, mm-hmm. that, that was dropped through the roof by his friends and you can just you know Bartimaeus and just all these characters what happened afterwards it's, it's intriguing mm-hmm. to think mm-hmm. it's excellent um, you know the when I think of something like that that could that's kind of book that although it's fiction could uh, you know kind of poke at people's interest and you know they might uh, they might pick up the Bible again or they might um, you know, somehow start thinking about going back to church. And when I compare that with the uh, very recent, um, oh, what was that man's name who wrote the uh, the trilogy? Um, Tolkien? 
No, it was Tom Clancy. Was it Clancy? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Got me there. When you said trilogy, I was thinking of Tolkien. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. And it had the exact opposite effect where people were coming up and saying, you know, I read this book and this is how I learned everything about my faith. And there was nothing about our faith in those books. Yeah. No, I, but but I agree with you. I mean, that, that that's why I do what, what I do. My hope is, you know, that it'll trigger, you know, somebody's trigger face something. in some way to move move them closer to, to Christ. And and mm-hmm. I hear every now and then from somebody who has, and that's that's that's, that's payday for me. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Yeah, that's great. Um, it's nice to think that something that you've uh, worked on can bear such fruit and especially when you get some evidence of it, like someone saying that, you know, so that's good. Right. As I mentioned in our prayer, and I'm a believer in it, I mean, the church itself exists to evangelize. That's why we're here. And the gifts that God's given Mm -hmm. us, we we need to turn them around and see how they can be used, you know, Mm -hmm. to bring people Mm -hmm. to the kingdom, to bring them to the reality of the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what exactly was it? about uh, your own history that, um, or your own experiences that brought you to really write this? Is it just that, you know, that one story uh, piqued your interest, or had you thought about doing some writing when you were younger? Um, you know, uh, was that your goal? That's a good, that's a good question, Cynthia, because I, I really call myself a, a blue-collar writer, um, uh-huh. I, I don't have a degree in English and literature or uh, creative writing. I mean, in college, I took a creative writing course, um, mm-hmm. and I've always loved loved that. I mean, even as a little kid, I remember writing poetry and and really mm-hmm. kind of having somewhat of a creative bent. But I'm I was all, always kind of stifling myself by thinking I couldn't do write a book. I couldn't do do that. Um, sure. And then one day, when I was still working, I mean, th- this book. Um, took me about five years to write. It was because I was working mm-hmm. full-time, and I was writing a bit here on an airplane here and there, and I thought, well, sure. I'm just going to try, you know. Every journey starts mm-hmm. with a step, then you follow it with it. So I said, let me just start, you know, that and mm-hmm. having, you know, somebody who could polish it, a good editor, you know, helped it mm-hmm. as well. But oh yeah, once this idea... Yeah. Yeah, once this idea got in my head about it, it's like, well, why not try it, you know? So mm-hmm. that, that's how I, mm-hmm. I got to this point. And uh, uh, since that time, we've been writing more and more. But, yeah, uh, I, I sincerely love it. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, you know, and it, it doesn't have anything to do with the ability to write. I mean, granted, we all need editors. But the ability to write does not necessarily have anything to do with education or going through creative writing. It comes from your heart. And so here, right. you know, you're, I don't know what you did. You're, you say you're a blue-collar worker, but you're also a deacon in the Catholic Church. And so obviously you're very scripture-based and very magisterium-based. And so uh, probably those things were just kind of working in you and you, you know, percolating maybe, and you didn't realize it. Oh, no, no, absolutely. No, I've always been... Honestly, I, I, for the record, I, I said I was a blue-collar writer. You know, I, I oh, know, writer. Uh, so I was, I, yeah, I was in the business world and, and all that. I just meaning my, uh-huh. my writing. I, I don't, I don't come with a a pedigree skill set. You know, to to, to okay. my laptop. Yeah, mm-hmm. as far as that goes. But yeah, no, I definitely have a very rich love of our of our faith, and um, hopefully mm-hmm. that 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 comes out for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, it does. It does. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so did you hit any hurdles uh, in writing this book, or did you, uh, you know, other than having to find an editor and having to find time here and there, um, were there any other hurdles? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, I mean, there's the hurdle any writer that is seeking to get published is going to have. I mean, that's mm -hmm. sending out a ton of query letters, getting a ton of, you yeah. know, no thank yous. And so, yeah, that, that for sure was a part of it. Um, but, you know, it, a greater hurdle is just really the kind of the state of where, like, Catholic fiction is. You know, because really when I'm mm -hmm. submitting my work, I I'm, was submitting, when I was submitting for this book, you know, uh, I was operating within a, what I would call a subgenre of a genre. You know, Catholic fiction, it's, it's a mm -hmm. very, very narrow a niche, if you want to call it or call it a, a genre, you know. So yeah. it's a very mm -hmm. small, narrow group. Yeah, it, it's a tiny part of the of the Christian fiction market, which in turn is a subgenre within the larger fiction category. So, right. in fact, if you you know if you Google uh, Catholic uh, fiction or fiction literary agents, you'll come up with zero. You know, <laughs> if you Google Christian. Christian literary agents, you know, you're, you're going to have a, a lot of uh, hits there as far as that goes. So, again, I'm trying to get a, a, a book published in a genre that's very almost nil as far as that goes. Um, mm -hmm. And there's very, very few Catholic publishers that pub publish fiction. I mean, very right. few. You could count on, on one hand. Uh, and mm -hmm. again, some of the bigger publishers, they're, they're doing great books on spirituality, you know, the saints and all that. But very few are dealing with fictions, and the ones that do, oftentimes they're, they're not taking submissions and things like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, my query mm -hmm. was, was more to the, uh, the the larger evangelical, you know, community or, or literary agents or, or publishers at, at first, as far as that goes. And mm -hmm. I'd get my rejection after rejection, and usually, I mean, they were very mm -hmm. polite letters back or emails back, you know, it's just not my cup right. of tea. Then mm -hmm. finally, out of the blue, I received some honest feedback from one of the, the best-known literary Christian agents out there. He sent me an email. Um, I actually have what he wrote here in front of me. He, he wrote, Unfortunately, your story setting and main characters are so thoroughly Catholic that your typical Christian publisher would turn it down. I currently represent a Catholic author, he, he names them, and her collection of mm -hmm. rescue stories, names the book, but I had to ask her not to identify herself as Catholic in these stories. Can you imagine? You know, yeah. so bad, mm -hmm. basically he said, you know, ask me uh, if, if, you want, if I wanted to go forward, would I be willing to edit everything out of the book that was Catholic? You know, I, mm -hmm. I, of course, I had to say thanks, but no thanks. And, and then mm -hmm. I had a, a similar occurrence, uh, you know, down the road from there. Uh, I had a, a Christian publisher, very, very nice lady. Um, the editor said it reminded, my book reminded her of the war room. I'm like, well, I don't think so, but thank you. Uh, I mean, in other words, that that was a big compliment. I, I wasn't insulted, but she basically said that she would love to publish it again if I took everything that was Catholic out of it. You know, so I'm like, yeah. ah. so these are the kind of the hurdles that that I that I faced, um, you mm -hmm. know, in getting the book published again because there were yeah. weren't very many Catholic public publishers, and then of course I, I came across uh, Enroute. And yep. the book did get published as far as that goes. But, yeah, it, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting dilemma with Catholic fi fiction. It's a real catch-22. Um, do does it not exist in the quantities that it should? Do publishers not print it because there's not a market for it? Or I kind of think, it, is there a market that's waiting to be discovered that if, if you build it, they will come? If more Catholic publishers would publish you know, works of fiction, 
with an audience. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of Catholics who love fiction, but they uh, fiction that's inspirational and faith based. But mm-hmm. I feel that they're defaulting to our, our Protestant brothers and sisters, you know, evangelical Christian stories, only because mm-hmm. ours aren't available. Yeah. Um, I think it's a combination of both myself because I write nonfiction and I have had um, Catholic publishing houses turn me down um, because they didn't like some of the things that I wrote, which were um, brutally honest. And the thing is, if I was willing to take those out, I might be able to be published, but I'm not willing to because it destroys the truth of the story. So, Absolutely. the truth of the, of the memoir. So, um, I think it's part of the thing is that we haven't got Catholic publishers who are willing to take a chance on anything that doesn't fit within a certain box. And right. um, certainly with uh, Sebastian Mafoud, that is not the truth. Uh, he's doing a wonderful job. Uh, I'm glad he published you, and I know that he uh, he does publish quite a few people that are writing very well. Uh, they're either not known, or you know, there's something that the uh, the rest of the Catholic publishing world doesn't like. So it's probably uh, not an either or, but a both and. Yeah, it's a mystery, you know, because like I say, uh, Catholic publishers exist to, to spread the word of, of of God and also their business, they're, they're mm-hmm. to make money. So mm-hmm. that's why I just have a hard time thinking, okay, well, why not this piece of the puzzle? You know, you, yep. you got to start somewhere. I, I kind of liken it to uh, uh, Catholic uh, Christian music. Um, actually, one, mm-hmm. one of the things that where I intersect a little bit into my own story. Uh, again, Michael Fortunato is a musician. I'm a musician. My, my wife is a mm-hmm. singer as well. You know, we, 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 we've mm-hmm. been playing music uh, for over 30 years in bands in Chicago and here, and, of course, in choirs at church. In fact, I intersected, you know, with Matt Maher, and that's where I'm going with this. Uh, we were at the same church when he was the, directing the music there. Um, and Matt is kind of the example of what I w- would hope to see happen within Catholic fiction. Before Matt mm-hmm. came on the scene with Christian music, you, you never heard a Catholic artist on the radio. And now Matt broke through that, been nominated for mm-hmm. nine Grammys. Um, yeah. So I'm like, maybe we need that same breakout because it maybe it was a perceived threshold that no one could cross. No, a Catholic cannot be mm-hmm. on mainstream Christian radio. You know, can't be done. Now it's been yeah. done. So maybe... That's what we need to happen with, with uh, you know, Christian literature, Christian fiction, or excuse me, Catholic Christian fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any change in regard to that, um, that issue at all since you published, or do you think it's still well, as bad as it was? It's a good question. Now, I can, I, I'm, I'm an N of one, so I don't know how representative my my latter experiences have been but with, with that said I, I was able to to find a, a literary agent from one of the largest christian uh, uh, uh literary agencies so evangelical um who i'm working with now to, to get to a larger publisher again i thank sebastian so much for what he's done and he, he definitely endorses and supports me trying to get to you know a, a larger publisher um, so mm-hmm. in my experience, the, the agent I have now has is, is never once even brought up any of these questions of faith. Um, mm-hmm. And granted, even in, in the table, 
and and in the other books that I've written that are that we're trying to get published right now, trying to sell to publishers, it's not hitting everybody over the head with a huge dose of Catholicism. Um, right. Not at all. Nor nor am I trying to water down anything. My characters are Catholic, uh, mm-hmm. so you get that point of view. But it, it's not it's not it's not a sneak attack that okay I'm going to have a Protestant read my book and suddenly they're going to often get this inside scoop on Catholicism. No, it's just plain and simple. You know, mm-hmm. here's a Catholic person, and here's what they're encountering in life and things like that. My hope is, mm-hmm. if anything, that, that it's read by other people and they look at the commonality that we, that we have, you know, the ecumenism and that, and that whole thing, because yeah. there's more of that yeah. there than me trying to beat someone over the head with a Catholic stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little interreligious dialogue never hurt. Yep, true. Excuse me. Um, So one of the things that uh, interested me also is that uh, you you are a deacon. um, And, um, you know, I I know many that I, you know, I work at Holy Apostles College and Seminary, Mm -hmm. so I know know both permanent and um, uh, temporary deacons. And right. I uh, have trained both. So um, give me a little bit of information about your life as a deacon. Well, I love it. I mean, God calls us to, to, to calls everybody, and there's a variety of vocations. And I mm-hmm. just, you know, I, I'm so happy that, that he called me to, to this one to be able to, to, to serve him as a deacon. Since, again, I was ordained five years ago, um, Mm-hmm. I, my wife and I are both in, enjoying the experience, and it's busy. I remember actually, too, I retired but almost the same time. Shortly after I was ordained, I retired, again, a little on the younger side, you know, not that we were rolling in the dough, but we actually kind of calculated, can we get by and everything else? Yes, so let's do this. Let's be able to give more time to, to the Lord, to his church. And then I remember being mm-hmm. somewhat petrified, Cynthia, that, okay, I'm doing this, but what happens if there's really not a lot to do? <laughs> you know, like the main yeah. tag repair, uh-huh. I remember those commercials. But it was anything sure. but, you know, our days are, are, are filled in, in everything else. So we're, we're just loving it. We're involved in a, in a lot of different ministries uh, and things like mm-hmm. that. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we just love it to death. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, do you have any particular ministry or? Um... Yeah, um, yeah, at my parish right now, Corpus Christi in Phoenix, Arizona, in a little area they call Ahwatukee, um, mm-hmm. I head up our, our, men, our men's ministry, and that has been just a, is a blessing to me, and, and it's been really do, doing well. By doing well, I mean we're getting guys there. And, and men, we're, we're a tough lot sometimes to, to, to have our hearts soften and, and just the ability to sit down and to talk about our faith. And it's just so encouraging me when, when I go in once a week, Wednesday evenings, and uh, we're sitting in our tables after some video presentation, all the men just talking from their hearts about their faith. It's just a, just a great thing. So um, involved with that, um, I'm a Vincentian. So my wife and I have been working with St. Vincent de Paul. Um, my wife mm-hmm. is in charge of the, arts and environments at the parish, and so I'm, I'm sucked into that quite often, which, which I enjoy, you know, all, anything to deal with decorating the church or anything with mm-hmm. the liturgical changes. And sure. the RCIA, yeah, and I teach Discovering Christ, RCIA, and um, small groups are a big thing. We, we call them encounter groups where, again, we get people together for potluck uh, twice a month. In fact, my wife and I have one tonight. 
Um, and then we look at the gospel and the readings for the next week and discuss them and then pray together. Um, so mm-hmm. that's kind of like some of the parish things. In, in the um, Diocese of Phoenix, the, uh, the diaconate office asks us as well to take on a ministry outside our parish, and, um, and I, I'm loving that. I, I've been involved now with, with hospice, visiting hosp- people oh. in hospice care for uh, you know, about five or six years now. And actually, I think it started before that, seven or eight years. And something I never thought I could do, but mm-hmm. through the Holy Spirit, yeah, the Holy Spirit can, yeah. can help you do amazing things, and and I, mm-hmm. and I just love that experience. Good, good. Um, yeah. It sounds to me like that's something you could write a rather interesting memoir on. Yeah, like actually, I, I, memoirs of I, Yeah, I started a story, but then then I got another idea, so I shifted gears and I go back to 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 a story, but actually about. Um, uh, right now, in a sense, it's inspired by one of the people I visit who has Parkinson's disease, which is just a terrible disease where your mind is mm-hmm. all there, but you lose all control of your body. And yeah. it, I, I have a dear friend now. Anyone I, I visit becomes a dear friend who's who's declining even more every day. And I just love him. And, you know, just, I, you know, people say, how can you do that? Isn't that tough? And I'm telling you. I get so much more out of these interactions than I'm ever given to anybody. I'm telling you. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a blessing. Sure. Sure. Uh huh. Maybe at some point you should consider writing all of that up because I think it would be very yeah. interesting to, uh, you know, to see what is the life of of a deacon. You know, what can it really be like? Um, yeah. You know, we have that on men who've been priests uh, and certainly sisters, but I don't know of any about deacons. Um, That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I'm full of them. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, you also mentioned to me uh, at one point that you uh, give talks on the new evangelization in the Eucharist. What's uh, what's going on with that? Um, well, precisely that. Exactly. That's what. But no, the, the, those are two topics I feel very drawn to very obviously very very passionate about um mm-hmm. again especially the new new evangelization it's such a foreign concept to most catholics most catholics sometimes they hear the word evangelization and they almost shut down in, in fear you know and that's yeah. part of the reason i feel so compelled to really enlighten people what what this is and, and again there's nothing really new about the the new evangelization it's really a, a shifting of our to a, a different target group i mean for years, the church has been missionary, and we're always will be missionary. But in a missionary sense, we get that that idea from you know a few decades ago, where people went out to the jungles and 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 everywhere else and found people that never heard about Christ, and and that still is going on. But the reality is, through technology and you know transportation, most corners of the earth have been found and and preached at. But we still need to do that. The real yes. issue now is that is just within our own church with our own brethren and there's so many people that are that are at mass or have left the church you know who don't have that personal yeah. relationship with christ and that's, that's true that's the whole the gist of the the new evangelization is to do to form and make people you know intentional disciples within our own community as far as that goes so i feel real passionate about it most people you know the, the, what i try to get them is because they have a perception, you know, about what evangelization is. It's the guy with the sandwich board, you know, on the street corner with a megaphone in one hand and a Bible in the other. Mm-hmm. And, sure, uh, sure. And that, 
that right, rightfully scares them. I'm like, no. And then you, you try to get some practical ways where they can do this. To me, one of the best things that people can do, uh, because you're always going to hear, oh, I, I don't know theology, I don't know Bible verses. You know, I'd say plain mm-hmm. and simple, you still, you still have a role. Invite people. Invite people to go to Mass with you. Invite them to, to attend right. a men's group with you and, and things like that. And let the Holy Spirit uh-huh. take over. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so that I, I feel very strongly about. So I'd like to get the message out on that. And, of course, mm-hmm. who doesn't feel pa- passionate about the Eucharist? Well, that's true. That's a load of questions. Well, uh, so many people of our own Catholic brethren don't even realize the real presence in the Eucharist. So uh, mm-hmm. that, that's another Actually, one. Actually, the majority. Uh, yeah. Recent study, it's sad. I, I can't cite it. Yeah, but they, they yeah, say it, that uh, the majority don't. Yeah, Pew Research, like 60-some percent of anyone who calls himself Catholic, when they dig down into the data, if you got people mm-hmm. who attend Mass regularly, then it shifts to about 63% or 60-some percent believe in the real presence, why 36? But still, we should be appalled, you know, at that number, you know, just... Yes. And it's so, and it's so critical because that is, that is this, again, source and summit, that's the cliche line, but that is the reality. In fact, um, my wife and I just had one of her cousins we hadn't seen in like 30 years come and visit us and start talking about some things about faith. And and it was really evident to me that what was missing, you know, in her life was an understanding, you know, really what the Eucharist was. Because you hear it a lot. People, Catholics will go and they'll get all hung up if, they're, if they're, their priest can't give a good homily, you know, or mm-hmm. if the music right. is terrible and, and, or I don't get nothing out of Mass because of these things. And you're like, you, you know, when you hear that, what they're saying is they don't understand uh, the mystery that's before them, that Jesus Christ himself is literally coming from heaven to us. And, and, so, and I, I understand, Cynthia, and appreciate that so much because in my earlier walk as a, as a Catholic, that was me. You know, oh, that music, even sure. better music as, as a musician. Oh, terrible homily. But I'm like, none mm-hmm. of that, finally dawned on me, none of that matters. It's all secondary, third, ter- tertiary. And, you know, if you get that stuff, it's a bonus. But Jesus is going to be there fully present. When we realize that, that's the game changer in our faith, game changer in going to Mass. And, you know, and the irony is this, you know, again, the person, I, I don't get anything out of Mass. And I always kind of think to myself, well, why, are we, why do we go to Mass? And ultimately we should end up at that, quite, or that the, the answer is we're there to worship God. And when we mm-hmm. worship, there's no, there's no me in worship. It's all about worshiping him. But the irony, for lack of a better word, is probably a better word to use in it, is that when we actually realize this and we go there to honestly worship, in true worship to Christ, and receive the Eucharist, that's when we receive so much. Like St. Francis right. said, in giving that we receive. And it's no truer place than in, in the Eucharist, the graces we receive from it. Yeah, then we'll start getting something out of Mass and we realize it has to start with me giving everything to, to God, all his worship, all our mm-hmm. worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good, very good. Yeah. Sounds like you have, uh, well, in the old people's, uh, like main uh, expression, you have all your bucks lined up in a row. You know, you know the <laughs> yeah. faith and, and you emphasize the right things. Yeah, and it's, um, it's always it's always about meeting people where they're at and just being able to, to yeah. relate it, you know, you know, clearly and succinctly. And I hope I, that I'm able to do that. Mm-hmm. That's very important. Even the fact that you you know that you have to work at that is important because so many people don't. Yep. So that's yep. good. Um, 
it seems that you've also written some other books. I think I read something here where you said that you wrote a couple of other books. Yeah, I have uh, two two other books. Yeah, I, I, you know that that I've completed that are in the hands of my agent. Uh, so I, I learned, mm-hmm. you know, if you're trying to to get with a, a, a larger publisher. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, there's a couple hurdles there. First of all, you know, a gateway. Again, most larger publishers won't even look at a a submission unless it's submitted by a literary agent. So you have to get the agent. Once you get the right. agent, though, it could be. It doesn't mean like okay, tomorrow you're gonna we're gonna get all these uh, publishers lining up. I mean, I've come real close. You know, with, with some of the largest publishers, where went all the way down to their final review and said no. So. I have a couple, like I say, that 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 she's out there trying to to, to get published, but I have to be patient there. So, and I am. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. So that's good, and you're going to continue writing. So that's important too. Absolutely. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to tell us about the book? Uh, the book, the, the table. Yes. Ah. Uh. I mean, maybe, but I can't think of anything. I'm kind of like deer in headlights right now as far as that goes. Oh, dear. Uh, I, I definitely give, give, give God thanks for just the ability to, 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 do, to be able to do it. I'm, I'm grateful mm-hmm. that, you know, that I've heard from some people how it has impacted their life spiritually. And, again, that, mm-hmm. to me, that's, that's what it's all about. And, again, I always turn it – I have to turn it back to, to God and, and thank him for giving mm-hmm. me this ability that, that – I can proclaim them in this way. So I, I feel very mm-hmm. blessed to be able to do that. Oh, I agree. Okay. Um, well, if there's, is there anything else that you wanted to say about your vocation or uh, in general? Uh, not that I can, like, say immediately think of. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll hang okay. up there and say, oh, I should have said this. I should have. <laughs> but, ah. but no, um, <laughs> But God is a uh, God is good all the time, and and He uses us. You know, uh, I work with mm-hmm. with guys that are in formation to become deacons now, and mm-hmm. it's a, a time of discernment. And that's one thing that even went through my formation is like you may not be called to ordination, but God calls us right. all to, to 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 some vocation, something, you know, that will give Him glory, that that will make Him known. Again, I guess I will close with this thing going back to the new evangelization because I feel so you know. Mm-hmm. It, it means so much to me that in this vein of like we are all here to evangelize whatever the vocation is it's to direct people towards God himself and maybe yeah. I'll leave with this point because this is one of my very okay. favorite quotes it comes from um, uh, St. Pope Paul VI on um, uh, evangelization he actually wrote again uh, the evangelization in the modern world and he says this finally the person who has been evangelized goes on to evangelize others here lies the test of truth the touchstone of evangelization. It is unthinkable that a person should accept the word and give himself to the kingdom without becoming a person who bears witness to it and proclaims it in his turn. And that is mm-hmm. the job for each and every one of us. So, yes, amen. It is. it is. Okay. Well, Deacon Dennis, I want to thank you very much for letting me interview you tonight. I've enjoyed uh, talking to you. I enjoyed reading the book. Um, I think uh, you have many more books inside you, and someday, hopefully, you'll be a famous Catholic author. Well, I don't know. I don't know that the famous part, but yes, uh, uh, God's blessed me, and I, I hope to continue to write. So thank you very much, Cynthia, for, for having me on your show. 
Okay. You have a good night now. All right. God bless. Thank you, Cynthia. You too. Bye-bye. Hello, God's Beloved. I'm Annabelle Mosley, author, professor of theology, and host of Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. I invite you to listen in and find inspiration along this sacred journey we're traveling together to make our lives a masterpiece and, with God's grace, become saints. Join me, Annabelle Mosley, for Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. God bless you. Remember, you're never alone. God is always with you. We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.